On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group does lessons learned on Pink Floyd with special guest Ken Fuller. Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory and friend of the Palaver Ken Fuller as we discuss lessons learned on Pink Floyd. Fuller, that is. Welcome back to the show, man. Good to uh, thank you. Good to have you on here in the middle of the uh, COVID pandemic. Uh, we talked a little bit before we got on air, so you apparently are are staying safe and doing your social distancing, and we're glad to see that you're happy and healthy. Absolutely, yes. Thanks very much. I'm I'm uh, happy to be uh, joining you once again. Ken Fuller, I'm happy to give you the name Ken for the duration of this episode. I just request. <laughs> I, no, I I, I I cede the name, but I just request that I'm consistently called Kenny G throughout the episode. Okay. <laughs> Noted. We will uh, we will do that. So we have you know we have developed here on the Palaver a, a little bit of a tradition that after we get through one of our major sequences, we like to reach out to friends of the Palaver who either have. A, a particular experience or or interest in the band in question. And, you know, Ken Fuller, you are just a font of knowledge and experience, certainly when it comes to uh, to Pink Floyd. So we're, we're very happy to sort of have you on here to get, you know, your, your sort of lifelong experience with this band. What, I mean, and, and just looking at your list, you saw them, in 1968 and a whole bunch of times in the middle and you saw them in 1994 so you pretty much bookended the whole damn thing which is uh which is quite impressive so you can provide uh some perspective that that the rest of us here on the palaver certainly can't have and so i'm i'm very curious to to hear how you got on the train in the very beginning and and what your thoughts were as as things changed throughout so you know, in, in Kenny G, unless you've got something specific, I, I just kind of want to get Ken's initial thoughts here. Oh, yeah, let's roll. Yeah, yeah <laughs> let's hear it. <laughs> okay. Well, I think I mentioned on uh, one of our podcasts once before that uh, I was kind of like the archetypal British grammar school boy uh, that progressive rock was made for. And I think I also mentioned that I had a... Uh, a music teacher that was pretty liberal and would uh, allow us on occasions to bring in a favorite album and and play to the rest of the class and introduce uh, each other to different music um so probably it stemmed a bit from there i mean i was a, a fan of floyd from about see emily play onwards that came out uh, in june 67 and uh, so i was uh, the ripe old age of 12 at the time. And I love that, uh, and, I, and I still do. And it's not a coincidence that my oldest daughter's name is Emily. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So I uh, don't know if she knows that. but uh, ah. So I love that song. But I didn't see uh, Floyd with, with Sid Barrett. I didn't get to see them. The, the first uh, time I saw them, and the first gig I can actually – remember going to was floyd and they played at the rate on the radio one club now the radio one club was a weekday program that bbc uh, radio one broadcast live it was at noon uh, lunchtime it was a two-hour show and it was a mixture of djs playing current records and a band playing live to people in the audience 
Uh, you didn't have to pay to join the, the club, as I remember. It was literally just uh, fill in a form and ride away to the BBC and they send you a membership card. And the, uh, the club, it was held at the Paris Theatre. If you're familiar with uh, the, the Beatles album Live at the BBC, it, mm-hmm. it's a brown and white photograph of the four of them walking past uh, and it says British Broadcasting Corporation on, a, on the, uh, the wall. That's mm-hmm. the Paris Theatre. It was in Lower Regent Street, uh, fairly near Trafalgar Square in London, centre of London. So I would say my parents were pretty liberal because I was like 13 then, so I would have got a bus. I didn't live in the centre of London, so I would have got a bus from, this, from where oh, I wow. lived up, up to the centre of London, 13 years old, and, and, and go to this broadcast. You, you probably wouldn't let your 13-year-old do something like that today, sadly. Those were, those were different times, no doubt about it. <laughs> yes, they were. So for, for today, what I did was I looked up, Floyd played four songs on this show. Uh, I can't remember what they were, so I looked up what they were. But what I also did was look up to see what was in the charts at the time in December 1968. We uh, love it, research. <laughs> So in the UK charts, because the UK and the US charts were different, so I did, a, I did a bit of both, and these are the sort of songs that were in the charts. So number one in the UK was a song called Lily the Pink by The Scaffold. Now, uh, a lot of people probably don't know The Scaffold were. Mike McGear was in The Scaffold. He's Paul McCartney's brother. Uh, and they, it was a kind of a novelty record. British people like novelty records at Christmas time. Ah, ah. Okay. And so that got to number one. Uh, Build Me Up Buttercup by The Foundations was number Indeed. three. Uh, I'm the Urban Spaceman by the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. I was... never understood them. but <laughs> <laughs> That was what? number five. Uh, the Theme from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly by Hugo Montenegro was number six. And uh, Obladi Oblada by Marmalade, not by The Beatles, by Marmalade was number nine. In the U.S., some of these will be a bit more familiar, I think. I Heard It Through the Grapevine was number number one mm-hmm. by Marvin Gaye. Love Child by Diana Ross of the Supremes, number two. Uh, For Once in My Life, Stevie Wonder, number three. Uh, Magic Carpet Ride by Steppenwolf was number oh, 10. Wow. So this gives you an idea of what was in the charts. What did Floyd play live on this show? They played Let There Be More Light. Set the controls for the heart of the sun. Point me at the sky and careful with that axe, Eugene. Really? Now, can you imagine? I, I, <laughs> it's bizarre to me that DJs might have played some of these other songs that I mentioned that were in the top ten at the time, and then Floyd came on and did these four things. Right. What on earth did the audience think? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 I have no idea. Point Me at the Sky and Careful with the Axe Eugene were a single. They was only released three days before this gig. So nobody would have heard those. They weren't even on an album. Um, so it, it must have been a really weird broadcast that day. Um, well, next to Bonzo Dog, these guys sound like <laughs> elevator music. So, I mean... <laughs> It's probably not that bad. You, and you somehow survived the psychedelic era. I mean, you must have heard drips and drabs of that as a child. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I would have heard some of it at uh, school. I mean, set the controls for the heart of the sun. I knew because I loved Umaguma, the live album. I was ne- really? Oh, Uma, Uma Guma, is that true? After, I, I suppose I should call it because you, you told me, oh, you, know, you uh, corrected me, I think, during uh, your <laughs> your earlier podcast everybody was i thought did i call it wrong all these years um well we say it both ways so there there is no wrong answer okay (laughs) that's good um but yeah the live uh disc i loved that i would carry that album with me everywhere and play it whenever i got the opportunity if i went to a friend's house i had that one with me really um yeah yeah no idea why (laughs) but uh set the controls of the hardest of the sun i knew uh because it's on there, but the others I certainly didn't. And uh, like I said, it must have been some strange uh, two-hour broadcast on the on the BBC that day uh, compared to what was in the charts. I always thought that was my first gig 
But, you know, memory 52 years ago, who knows? Because you guys asked me to do this, I had an idea. My mother used to keep a diary of every, every day, every year. And my brother has them in a box, big box of all her diaries. So I wrote to him, I texted him and I said, can you look at mum's diary and see if it says anything about me on the 20th of December, 1968? Awesome. Uh, and he came back and it said, it says, Kenneth went to Radio One Club. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, That's confirmed. I did remember it correctly. That is exceptional. That is a level of research and documentation <laughs> that is rarely seen here on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> wow. So, so I thought that was so great. Triangulation is our new standard now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who does that sort of thing? Well, she has a she has one for every day, so that's great. So that yeah, so that was my yeah. first my first gig and my first Pink Floyd gig. Okay, so so you talk about how you know what everyone else must have thought. What what did you feel? I mean, you know, you got in on See Emily Play, and be careful with that act, Eugene is not necessarily that. So you know, things had already changed by by the time. So what was what was your feeling there, Ken? Yeah, like they, they, they. I, I, I don't know. I can't remember. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember that I was there. I knew I'd been there, and I was confirmed that I, I'd gone. But, but I, I can't be sure. I really can't be sure what I thought. Um, as I say, the uh, by the time um um came out, and I, uh, uh, I, I love that. So I. I'm, I'm not convinced I knew that one person had left and somebody else had come in. Okay. You know, Barrett had gone and Gilmore had come in. I'm, I'm not sure I knew that at the time. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that kind of stuff happens. And obviously, you know, us, us old codgers, you know, back then before the internet, that type of information wasn't immediately available everywhere. Right. No. So you, you wouldn't necessarily know. And, and then, the next one on your list is from the Adam Hart Mother Tour. Now, our friend Tom, who is not available uh, right now, he may be along later. Adam Hart Mother is like just on the top of his chart. He absolutely loves it. So, I mean, was there anything particularly dramatic about about that show? Is that the one where they started like cooking bacon on the stage and stuff or? I don't think so. This one was a free concert at Hyde Park. Okay. Uh, it, was, it was an all-day affair. Other other bands uh, on it were uh, Kevin Ayers and the Whole World, the Edgar Broughton Band, a band called Formerly Fat Harry, uh, and a singer by the name of Roy Harper. Oh! So now, as I know, you now know, uh, sang on a Pink Floyd number some years later, right? That is true, yes. <laughs> Um, but this was the debut of Atom Heart Mother, apparently. This free concert. There were 120,000 people, approx, apparently, at it. And they did include a, I've got, I check this out, the Philip Jones Brass Ensemble and the John Aldis Choir. That I remember. I enjoyed the songs on Umagoma, but, but uh, Adam Heart Mother, I, I wasn't sure about. I mean, that was really different. What they played on that one. Uh, again, I a bit of research and dug this out. They paid, played more blues and green is the color from the more uh, soundtrack. They played Embryo, which it's only very recently, I think, that, that, that actually made it to an album at all. Uh, again, careful with the Axe Eugene, set the controls for the Heart of the Sun, and then Atom Heart, the whole of Atom Heart Mother. Mm. Um, so uh, that, is... that would have been an interesting uh, day. Uh, if you like, I've got here a quote from Disc and Music Echo about Ooh. that uh, concert. Uh, it says, Over five hours of varied and contrasting music was topped by a performance by Pink Floyd, who treated the gathering to a preview of their forthcoming album. They gave an hour of beautifully mature music, soothing and inspiring to listen to. They kept the numbers short, apart from the finale, and carefully restrained. 
with the sun glinting on Nick Mason's drums and the clouds breaking up overhead, it seemed as if the sounds were dropping from the sky itself. Wow. Nice. <laughs> a bit hyperbolic, but I, I, I have to say that that, that era is very classic. Just a few days before, um, well, okay, it would have been Blind Faith playing Hyde Park on the 7th, and the video that survived from that is epic. It's, it, I've seen it many places, repeated all over the place. They did a wonderful job. So there must have been a concert series in Hyde Park that year. Yeah, uh, I think there'd been a couple, at least the year before also. They were very, I mean, I remember going to that, and there were just like people everywhere. I found some photographs online of this one, and I'm looking at the people in the photographs. I'm going, I was mixing with those people? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and those fans were everywhere. There's little dis distance between the fans and the band. It just seems like this whole commune just swarmed all together. It was yeah. lovely. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Very, very makeshift stage. Not at all like the sort of professional thing we'd go to today. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, a free concert. That was another one, by the way, that my mother's diaries confirmed that I went to because I got my brother to check uh, check that date out too. Uh, the other thing I remember about this, I, somebody at school was selling bootleg LPs, albums, uh, and I brought a bootleg album of that concert. Uh, it was totally unlistenable. <laughs> As bootlegs were back in those days. <laughs> yes, yes. Who knows what they used to record it, but uh, I don't have it anymore. I probably threw it away in disgust. It was, it was terrible. So, uh, um, but you can imagine the uh, uh, debut of Atom Heart Mother, and you've never heard it before. Uh, and that's it's a, not that's like a any, lot to take in. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it'd be like, yes, coming out and performing the gates of delirium without anyone ever having heard it. <laughs> but, right. Right. <laughs> it, it appears that they returned to Hyde Park in 1970, 1974, maybe some other times, whereas, but the, the free concerts became more and more professional over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 This was promoted, I think by, uh, the record label, I think. The interesting thing is I, I spotted that Kevin Ayers and the whole world, Kevin Ayers had been in the soft machine. I'm sure uh, you've heard of them. Uh, absolutely. Uh, the whole world included Mike Oldfield. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And and Robert Wyatt, who was the drummer with soft machine. And, uh, and he had a long association with the, uh, David Gilmore as well. So it's all kind of uh, one big happy family. Uh, in progressive rock at that time. Except it wasn't called that at that time, of course. But. So when we talk about the happy family, obviously there's the other side of, of this happy family. And, and you know, since we're sort of covering the, the live shows, I, I kind of want to stay there for a second because one of the things that leapt out at me right away, and, and we recorded this episode most recently, and again, for those of us or you know, who listen to The Palaver know, our episodes usually sit in a buffer for a while and, and these bonus episodes will get recorded and, and released maybe a little bit out of sequence or whatever the case may be. But, but very recently we here at the Palaver finished up our live or our, our uh, episode on the live performances of the wall. So I noticed here that, that you happened to, to take in Roger Waters performance of the wall in 2010 in Madison square garden, you know, what was what was that like? I mean, we we sort of uh, here in the palaver, we kind of said the the visuals for that were phenomenal. I think we had sort of mixed jury on the uh, the the musical performance. So, does anything about that sort of stick out in your head? Or I mean, were you were you thrilled just to be able to see a full performance of the wall? Yeah, basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. The visuals were, were stunning. I never got to see them do the wall back in uh, the 70s. So to see to see this, to watch the wall being built, to listen to the music, which is so incredibly familiar, of course, was, was great. You even, you're almost watching Waters act it out. 
and uh, especially the scene when he's in the hotel room uh, that, and things like that. That that scene particularly uh, in in that 2010 performance, I, that really stuck to me with me. Like I can I can so clearly see that whole little stage set that they had for that and him kind of lounging in that chair and oh it was yep. really something yeah 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 and uh that's the holy grail for the tribute bands if they can pull up, pull that off and have the set and the tv and the yeah and yeah brit floyd do that very well actually if you ever get a chance to see them i've seen them a few times and they do that well but the, the whole thing was stunning it was really well done it was just a pleasure to 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 see it all in one piece. Uh, so uh, yeah, I really I really enjoyed it, and the sound was 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 awesome. Was it? Um, well, I mean, yeah. I I saw him here on the us and them us and them tour in 2017, and yeah, I mean, the, you're you're absolutely right. The sound was as good as anything I've ever heard. Uh, you know, especially in one of these these uh, indoor arenas where traditionally sound is abysmal mm -hmm. yeah I, I mean i don't think nowadays anybody could pay me to go to madison square garden i mean the <laughs> audience uh, are rude they're terrible they're always getting up and down uh and uh, yeah as a as a uh, venue it's it, it's just not a great venue so uh, I, I don't think you're a long you, you tend to be a long way away from the action at least at the price I want to pay you are Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I tell the story about the us and them tour that, you know, I thought I was so slick because I, I'm familiar with the arena here in Dallas, obviously. And as I've gotten older and I think more savvy, when I go to buy tickets, I try to use my brain and decide where mm -hmm. to sit. And so I very purposefully bought tickets off the floor at the far end of the arena. So that way I could see everything and I wouldn't be in amongst, you know, the, the mass of people and I could enjoy myself. Little did I know that Roger was going to run Battersea Power Station right down in front of me. <laughs> and for the for the first half of the show, I was I was patting myself on the back saying, this is great. And when all of that sort of accoutrement came out during the intermission, I'm like, well, what's this? <laughs> and I, I couldn't right. see all the stuff on the side. <laughs> So, so when my when my buddies and I saw that at uh, the Wells Fargo in Philadelphia, we were at the at the side, you know, okay, up high yeah. on the side. And when we went in, we go, oh, these seats suck. You know, there's the <laughs> stage to our right. We're a long way away. And then, of course, as you say, the whole fantasy power station un unfolds at, at the interval, and it's now right in front of us. Right. Yeah. We're going, Ah, this is great. <laughs> so you had the exact opposite experience. I, <laughs> I felt sorry for people on the floor. But what did they see? Yeah, I, I can't even imagine what they saw. That was uh, that. That's so funny. But I mean, that and, and again, that that show was was one of the things that sort of, you know, got us going on on this whole endeavor anyway. So. Um, I mean, he does a great show. There's no doubt Roger Waters does a great show. But then again, so does David's Pink Floyd. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, they, they both have enough of the pedigree. And, and if you look at what they did, you know, prior, it, it's it's all legitimate, right? They, they know how to do this. And they both yep. do it extraordinarily well. We'll... We'll get into the whole Roger versus David thing um, maybe a little <laughs> later on, but I'm I'm kind of curious, you know, just your general thoughts because as we went through this catalog, I mean it it it's a huge span of of time and music and styles and influences and and you have this pretty big chunk in the middle where they're uh, I say they're they're almost practicing their their craft a little bit. The Omegumas and the Adam Hart mothers, and you know, even obscured by clouds to a certain degree, you know, until they sort of bring everything together in Dark Side and hit that that main sequence. What was it like for someone you know who got into see Emily play as as a twelve year old 
and and I mean, were there parts where they kind of lost you, or were did you kind of grow up along with them and thought this was all great, or you know, was how did that work for you? Um, as I said uh, before, uh, Uma Guma was a, was a, a favorite of mine. The live album, I loved that. Uh, Atom Heart Mother went to number one in the UK, which is somewhat remarkable thinking about it now. Uh, and I and I had that, but I, I think the one I really got into was metal. And you didn't mention that just now. Oh, uh, God, I love metal, metal. But with the exception yeah, of Seamus. But well, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the the whole side echoes. I think that's mm-hmm. really when uh, I thought, uh, yeah, that that was a. So I, I was never, I never smoked, you know, or inhaled. As, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> uh, but I would sit in the, in the middle of my uh, bedroom floor and turn the lights out and play that. Uh, echoes mm-hmm. and listen to that and have the speakers, you know, either side of me on the floor and go, oh yeah, yeah, this is, this is yeah, great. Uh, that was a, that, so that was my first, I think when I really thought, yeah, yeah, I, I, I really like this band a lot. Was uh, Floyd an easy sell? I mean, if you were following Genesis parallel with Floyd and other bands, including yes, ELP. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was was Floyd the one you could always get someone to buy tickets with you and go to the show? Was it more accessible? Um, well, I had a big gap where I didn't get to see them. I didn't see them do Dark Side or or mm-hmm. Wish You Were Here or or The Wall. I didn't, and I and I don't know why, but I didn't go to those. Uh, I think they were probably a slightly harder sell. Though I, I never had, I would always be able to go to people to see Genesis. Yeah, uh, I, I took a girlfriend to see Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Wow, uh, which uh, she was into Tamla Motown, so she hated it. I remember, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so, I, I, big mistake I, on my part. <laughs> I, I just really quickly, I once took a uh, took a girl I was dating to see Tori Amos. And she was a Grateful Dead fan. She was so confused the whole time. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of like the opposite. <laughs> no. So, uh, yeah. Um, and uh, But they did all kind of go together, I think. In my, in my mind, they would say, and King Crimson for that matter, but they would mm. say that uh, they are not the same. You know, they, they, they'd all been lumped together as progressive rock, uh, and they're all British bands, but Yes, and Genesis and ELP and, and King Crimson and Floyd—they're they're, not—they're not the same at all. Mm. But I liked all that stuff: uh, Van de Graaff Generator and uh, there's probably probably others. But those are the the, the, bit, the, the famous five, if you like. That I yeah, yeah, to. yeah. But tickets—they don't look expensive now, of course. But back then, I had a lot less money, yeah. and uh, <laughs> so they yeah. were expensive. So now, I, you know, if, if any of these came up today, I'd say, sure, I'll be there. You know, you wouldn't even hesitate. Right. Back then, it was, well, I can either do this or I can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so you, you didn't go to everything. Right, 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 right. Oh, man, that's fascinating. But you but, would uh, buy the albums. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, I vividly remember when Wish You Were Here came out. And the reason for that is... Uh, I was doing jury service at a uh, a court in South London, and about half a mile away, there was a record store. It was near the Elephant and Castle, which is a part of South London. Uh, And the lunchtime, uh, I walked down to that record store and bought that album. Uh, And there it came in. It was the black uh, plastic cover with a sticker on the side and... I was very hesitant as to whether I should tear that black cover off because I, uh, to see what was underneath <laughs> or whether I should leave it to preserve it and just do a slit down the side just so I could slip <laughs> the record in and out. Uh, and it doesn't matter because I don't have it anymore anyway. <laughs> but, uh, Did they search you for Pink Floyd paraphernalia upon return to jury service? Uh, I guess not. I guess not. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, So I, I just happened to remember where I was at the time when I bought that. So, yeah, 
um, like we had the conversation before, I think, where we were talking about our, our Genesis albums. Yep, I, it, the day it came out, I was there, I bought it. So Wish You Were, Wish you were Here is actually my favorite. That, that's better than Dark Side for me. Yeah, I and, can see and, that. And yeah, we had that conversation as to whether or not it, it was. I think there's, yeah, I, and I probably six times out of ten, I would agree with you. You know, I, I kind of flip-flop on that a little bit now. But, I, I mean, for me, like, I didn't even own a copy of Dark Side probably until I was in my 30s. Like, obviously, I knew it. I had heard it. But I, I'd never owned an actual physical copy, be it LP or, or CD, until... You know, I was, like I said, I was in my 30s and, and it was at, I had a period where I just started filling in gaps in my CD collection. And I'm like, hmm, I should buy Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> so it you just, were one of the few people in the world that didn't have it. I know, right? It's so weird. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the time I spent with Dark Side was just fundamentally less. See, the, the problem was when, when I was 18, 19, 20, um, I, I sort of, convinced myself that I was an audiophile to the extent mm -hmm. that one could afford such a distinction at that age. And, and this was at the time when the, uh, what is it? The mobile fidelity super gold CDs were being produced. <laughs> and yes. so I was always holding out to get one of those of dark side. And of course, it just never made it to the top of the of the money priority list, which is why I never had one. It wasn't that I didn't want it. I just wanted like the cream of the crop and it just never happened to me. It, it still kind of irks me to this day. And in fact, now that I sit here and think about it, I still need to go and find the uh, the 5.1 version as well. But that's neither here nor there. Well, but you having said that, and I, I just said it wasn't... It which were here was my favorite, but I must have bought Dark Side about five different times. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, def I definitely bought it on the album. I'm pretty sure I bought the gold disc version that you just mentioned. I do nice. have the 5.1 version. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it, and probably had a cassette as well at some time. And that's how they make a lot of money. From, that's right. Absolutely. Folks like us buy uh, the same okay. thing over and over again. Well, we only have one 5.1 consumer, really, in uh, Palaver, that, 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 that is Tom, because he's an audio engineer for film. But uh, is it worth it, like, of the Pink Floyd catalog, what uh, is worth having in 5.1? It was for Dark It was for dark Side. I definitely heard things I'd never heard before. Mm -hmm. I remember playing it in my living room here. I do have a 5.1 setup, proper setup. I sat in the middle of the room purposefully to, to play it the first time. And I called my wife. I said, here, come, come and listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'd never heard that bit before. Uh, and a couple of bits of the talking, you know, uh -huh. sure. uh, yeah. uh, I thought, I don't, rem I don't remember hearing that bit. Because uh -huh. uh -huh. it's coming, you know, from my, over my left shoulder or something. That's awesome. Uh, so I, I would say, yeah, that one, that one was uh, worth it. The, I didn't buy any of the others, but that I had. All right. Well, well now that we're talking about uh, that era, Dark Side, and Wish You Were Here, how did it proceed through that decade, 73 through the final cut in 82? Were you with them hook, line, and sinker? Did you skip any purchases along the way? Uh, I, I never bought final cut. Um, You're forgiven. <laughs> we we love it. We, we, we love the melody. Yeah, we love the melody. We released that podcast yet? I don't think. So. Right, no, right, we have right. not. No, uh, no I, I didn't have that. Uh, the wall, of course, that was overplayed. But one time, I went through a phase of saying, you know, if you weren't depressed before you started playing this, you certainly would be by the time you've finished. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, we, we have some good diatribes from Joe to make that statement. <laughs> <laughs> um, animals I loved. That was one that definitely I got when it came out. Um, really? Was, yeah. Okay, so what was it that got you, because it's uh, more of a textured, long-form experience. There are no pop hits on there, really. 
<laughs> no, not at all. I don't know. I love sheep, dogs. I love that. that it's kind of a guitar solo. Uh, I'm going to try and sing it. That's not a good idea. But the bit that goes. Whatever prime which song that is. Uh, I, I love that bit. I don't know. I just think that's a great album. I love the cover. Fantasy Power Station. There we are. Used to travel past that every day going to work. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I don't know, it's just the, the, the whole thing. So The Wall has its good and bad moments. And Cut, as I say, I didn't, I didn't buy. What, were you a Londoner when they put the pig up and the pig got away? Were you, were you reading the papers then? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. They had, to, they had to shoot at it to uh, let, the, uh, <laughs> let the air out. The Heathrow Airport was uh, worried yeah. about planes and all sorts of stuff. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. And in the end, they ended up uh, not using any of those photographs anyway for the cover. Right, right. It's illustrated. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Well, we love the done and the bit. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's That's, sort of David Gilmore's. It, it's, it's, it seems like it's so easy. Because I guess you would, You tell me, you're the guitarist. You'll find out. You'll find out when the episode <laughs> plays. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but they so, were dead. You know, at the final cut, the band were dead, weren't they? Yeah. The Wall, before you jumped mm-hmm. to the final cut completely, did okay. you see the movie in real time? Did you see it in a theater? Ooh, yeah. That's a good question. Um, I don't think so i have seen it but i don't think i saw i don't recall seeing it at the time no maybe it was just greasy kid stuff by then it's probably saving to get married or i was married by then i don't remember the exact date and different priorities <laughs> you know? sure and then uh, and then the final cut was not too terribly uh well promoted or well received yeah, i was gonna say it wasn't really promoted at all no 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 it was and it, it was reputedly lots of leftovers or some leftovers from the wall that he wasn't allowed to include and uh, other bits. And I know, well, the band was, it was disintegrating or mm-hmm. very so much you, disintegrating by then. Were you aware of that disintegration in real time? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I, I just, I, I just probably just wasn't paying attention by then. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. one, one of the things that we talked about it, with regards to that is interviews for or, uh, involving the final cut uh, traditionally occur with David and or Roger separately on their own solo tours at that point. So <laughs> that that really speaks volumes about where everyone was at that time. And you know, once you get into the the drama that unfolded after that. Um, you know, as, as Gilmore and Mason, you know, decided to continue on and wanted to use the name and all the, the legal wranglings that went on, you know, in, in the, the latter part there of 85 and 86 and, and even into 87, it's, uh, it's quite a dramatic story, but, you know, it's one of those things where I knew when a momentary lapse of reason came out, I knew it was Pink Floyd. I, I don't know that I was aware of a lot of this uh, legal nonsense that was going on at the time, but, you know. No, I'm with you there. Same here. I wasn't even aware that David Gilmore had a couple of solo albums out. <laughs> uh, I, I certainly didn't have them. I, I didn't know anything about uh, pros and cons of hitchhiking. Uh, on Waters' side, I didn't... I didn't I, I'd either... Stop paying attention to them. They were they weren't interesting to me. Whatever it was, I, I did, didn't didn't know. Maybe I wasn't reading the music papers by then. But yes, it wasn't until momentary lapse of reason that you, that 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 story, which took a long time and many years, it all get it all gets shortened into a concise story <laughs> of what what happened to how did they get here. Yeah, yeah. Were you in Florida basically at that time in uh, the no, states? No, 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 not not yet. No. I didn't move to the States till 93. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, wow. Even over there, they couldn't even promote in their home country. Wow. Fascinating though, here in the Philly market, we had uh, a steady diet of Floyd on two classic rock radio stations, Mm -hmm. even throughout this period. So I don't know 
that probably wasn't the band. Uh, maybe that was the, the the labels doing their thing with Paola or whatnot. But we 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 did not escape Floyd whatsoever throughout the mid eighties. I mean, yeah. it was yeah. We didn't have classic rock radio stations in in Britain. We had John Peel, who had a show uh, in the evening on Radio One, famous DJ who played the. He started off playing progressive rock and got more into indie as his uh, his career progressed. Uh, but there was no such thing as a classic rock station. So I'm picturing these people Floyd. dancing around listening to Squeeze and Bonzo Dog all day. Is that, is that <laughs> how it was? <laughs> Not so bad. I would listen to those two bands, but just, yeah, maybe some <laughs> buggles thrown in. They were pop stations, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we were, de- right. we were deprived. It wasn't like uh, here. <laughs> all right, but you didn't, um, uh, you saw Floyd in 94, but did you see them in the momentary lapse of reason period? Yeah. yeah, he saw them yeah, twice right. on that tour. Yes, oh, awesome. yeah, does it happen? Yeah, that, that tour, uh, momentary lapse of reason started in 87, but they didn't get around to Britain until summer of 88. Um, but I had the album. Um, and I loved that album. I thought it was a great album. Uh, so I couldn't wait to go and see them. I had tickets to go and see them at Wembley Stadium, out, big outdoor uh, stadium. The light, I was way back, but the light show was fantastic. Uh, the, 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 big, the big circular yeah. screen behind the band, the lasers, the explosions. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely uh, fantastic light show. But then, so the tour finished, I think, about a month after that show. But then they did, uh, they, they did a lot, another mini tour uh, the following year. And they played at a place called the London Arena, which was built in Docklands. Uh, and they were still going through the revival of Docklands. It's a long time before, long time before uh, now it's a commercial center. All the, all the big banks have their buildings there. Um, but it was before then. And I went to a my uh, girlfriend, who's now my wife, got tickets through a... This is funny. She got tickets from a guy, through a guy at work. She didn't know much about Pink Floyd, but she got tickets for the two of us because she knew I would like to go. And it was on the Sunday, and it was a four o'clock start. There must have been, I guess, some sort of a curfew, because so, you don't get many gigs that start at four in the afternoon. <laughs> right. Um, so we parked on the south side of the River Thames, and there's a foot tunnel at Greenwich that you can walk through uh, to the north side of the river where Docklands is. Um, if, uh, if either of you have got a, an LP copy of Quadrophenia, or if anybody who's ever going to listen to this as a copy of Quadrophenia, there's a picture uh, in the album of the kid with the parker walking through a foot tunnel. That's Greenwich foot tunnel. Okay. Uh, and you walk under the river. And we get to the arena, never been to this arena before. It was new. It's no longer there. And we're inside and we're walking around and go, oh, where are these tickets? Where are we sitting? Seventh row, right in front of David Gilmore. Nice. Ah, so, great. of course, you don't get the benefit of the light show. But that was okay because I'd seen the spectacular light show one year before at Wembley Outdoors. Mm-hmm. This was inside. And here I am right in front of Gilmore. And uh, the three backing singers, the girls. Oh, fantastic! That, yeah, and that that would have been Terry McBroom at that point. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so here we are, and That's great. so my my girlfriend and now wife had got me these tickets. I said, ah, "Yep, you did really good there." That is spectacular. <laughs> yeah, so that was it, pretty much the same show, of course. But it didn't matter because this was a, a whole different perspective on it. That's when we jumped on board. I mean, I, I saw it. Paul saw it during that. Oh, finally, okay. yeah, we were finally old enough to drive and go to concerts and whatnot and do the whole <laughs> the gamut. <laughs> oh. Then, so that was good. And then the last time, then Division Bell came along. Oh, they did the concert. Did you must have seen, or maybe you got to see the concert they did from Venice. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I yeah. mean, I, I haven't actually seen the, the video, but I've heard so much about that at this point. They set up the stage on a barge out in the lagoon and played. Uh, uh, so you had the spectacular backdrop of the, of the city and St. Mark's Square and uh, their light show. 
I think that was the momentary lapse of reason tour. Uh, and then I got to see them one more time uh, in the States at Yankee Stadium in 94 for the division bell. Further back, looking at the, the, the whole lights and everything. Spectac- another spectacular show. They're, they're, they're all uh, really, really uh, good shows. So that was the uh, completion. That was the arc from uh, 68 to 94. Of, of seeing uh, Floyd live. Saving graces, if you want to call it that, of the Floyd catalog is that they have a lot of slow tempos. And those mm-hmm. le- slow tempos are designed for the stadium experience. And, you know, some, sometimes with yes, you're not hearing every note that Wakeman's playing when the, you're in the arena because it's going by a little too quickly with a little bit too much reverb, but you can hear every damn note in a Floyd show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, and we're not talking about tricky time signatures either, are we? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's yeah, all it's, pretty four four and yep. yeah, 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 yeah. It's tr- truly designed for that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I want to say I saw the Division Bell tour here in Texas at the old the old Texas Stadium where the Cowboys used to play, the famous one with the hole in the roof. Mm-hmm. And I, I recall that it was it was either during the summer or very close, and it was just awfully hot in that. <laughs> in that little bowl just sitting there waiting but of course after the sun goes down and the show starts you don't even care anymore but uh yeah i forget who exactly i went to see that show with because i didn't have a whole lot of friends here at the time but uh clearly i went with someone because i do remember sitting in there and i remember just the whole spectacle and, and just being absolutely floored by that um yeah david gilmore is kind of the kind of badass yeah yeah i mean they, they do a great show now, you know, we were talking about uh, Walter's shows, but also the tribute bands that I've seen, I've seen two. Uh, I've seen the Australian Pink Floyd show, and I've seen Brit Floyd. And they both also do a really uh, uh, good light show as well. I mean, it's not quite, it's not on the same scale, but they go to a lot of effort uh, to produce something pretty close. Uh, and and the sound is it, their sound is great. They're talented guys, all of them. We have to uh, plug the McBroom Sisters' latest Black Floyd album because um, they actually worked with David Fowler from I believe he's from the Australian Pink Floyd. And apparently, okay. apparently, COVID was a saving grace to that project because uh, Durga's sister was stuck in the UK with David Fowler. And he had nothing to do but, you know, press little computer buttons and record while he was here because they <laughs> sure as hell weren't going out and playing live. There is a wealth of, uh, of talent in, in, in both the Brit Floyd and the uh, Australian Pink Floyd, but the, the Australian Pink Floyd has, has this new interesting connection that, that very much intrigues me. Uh, Lorelai is Durga's sister. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah, she she is the sweeter, um, higher voice, and Dur- Durga has the the ballsy Robert Plant voice, <laughs> which, which, which she demonstrated for us in our in our call. <laughs> there was a, there's one other band, Pink Floyd band, I used to go and see when I uh, lived down in South Florida. There was a band called Run Like Hell, and they played in bars and uh, pool halls, and their lead guitarist. Actually, taught guitar. Uh, Ken, you've met him, my friend Mike. He was a guitar teacher, yes. and he taught Mike uh, at some stage. Anyway, we used to go and see this band run like hell, and, and maybe there'd be 25 people in the bar watching them. Uh, there were some songs they couldn't do because they didn't have, know anybody that played a saxophone or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yep. But th- that was always a really fun night, you know, to go and sing along to some Pink Floyd. So uh, any opportunity uh, you can get, really. Uh, what is it that you'll be uh, contributing to our show notes? Because uh, I, I know, I know you, you, you dug up a few interesting things in preparation for this episode. Yeah, I, can, I, can, I, I dug out the websites that are connected with the free concert, uh, the Hyde Park concert. So you can see some of the, uh, the photographs and uh, stuff like that of, of the uh, oh, cool. people that attended that. I couldn't see me. But uh, I was there. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I was going to mention, uh, I suppose that really rounds off my Pink Floyd experience, was uh, 
in 2017, they had an exhibition in London at the Victorian Albert Museum called Their Mortal Remains. And I was over in uh, London for a couple of weeks that summer. So my brother and I went to that exhibition. Uh, excellent exhibition. It was basically the history of the band, uh, lots of memorabilia, clothes from the 60s, uh, equipment they used, lots of photographs. But you went round with headphones on uh, Sennheiser. It was sponsored by Sennheiser. So oh, you went round okay. with Sennheiser headphones on. Really? And as you were in different areas, the different albums were playing. So it was in chronological order as you went through. And you heard snippets of different albums. So when you were looking at the costumes. It's like um, the Epcot Center of Pink Floyd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I take it. It was, it, was, it was excellent. It took about an hour, hour and a half to go round. And the last, and it ends with uh, their concert from Live 8. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the last time all four of them were together. And you were in a big room and they're playing comfortably numb from live eight on screens all the way around the room and it's in surround sound and basically just kind of stand in the middle and you know look around at, uh, at the screens and the music's all around you and you just got to wait for the guitar solo at the end and, uh, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, uh, but but this exhibition has only been in europe so far uh, it was in london for six months uh, then it went to Milan, I think, and, and a couple of others. It's never come to the U.S. Uh, hopefully it will one day. So I saw that in September, and uh, Waters was uh, in August of that year. So uh, that really, uh, that was a pretty good year, 2017, for Pink Floyd for me. Yeah, that's not bad. Not bad at all. No, not at all. Great band. Uh, but they, I, I think they do live on with the tribute bands. Uh, let's face it, Floyd as individuals were never photogenic. They weren't ones that you wanted to go and, oh, I, I want to get close to Roger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, perhaps the further away, the better. Uh, so, you know, uh, it's all about the music, the sound, the lights. Um, and as I said before, some of these, uh, the bigger tribute bands do a, a really good job of that. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Outstanding. Well, good. So, yeah, Ken? I, I just love the, the new evidence-based progressive palaver. So we, we, we bring in our, our, our character witnesses and we, <laughs> and we collect our evidence. <laughs> Sometimes it helps to be a little bit older. I think we should put Gen X in the beginning of the title of our podcast, but that's a debate for another time because we've, we've truly illustrated the Gen X experience. So we must sound like dumbasses to a bunch of really experienced prog heads. And I, I well, just hope everyone knows we're trying, right? We're doing our best here to play catch up. There are times when I'm listening to the podcast and uh, I suddenly exclaim, no, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't know that already <laughs> just found so uh it's great <laughs> we, we, we spend a lot of time in audible or reading actual books and trying to trying to f figure out this whole floyd lineage here it was a lot of work for us <laughs> i mean there's no doubt from a i mean the, the palava focuses on press progressive rock and progressive rock the 70s and perhaps the early 70s at that, but the 70s was the decade for progressive rock. And I was at just the right age at that time. Um, when did you actually call it prog rock? I don't know. Because um, it was psychedelia that, at first, or it was... Yes, it, it, it was. It was. Yeah. With, yeah. with Floyd... And even, even, even yes, came out of some psychedelia and yes, they did. Yeah. I mean, I, when you look at things like the Beatles anthology, if you, you know, you watch that series of uh, documentaries, uh, and it's always remarkable to, to remarkable to me how much they changed in that period between 68 and 70. And then I think to myself, well, 62 to 70, sorry. And, and then you've got, well, we've just been talking about 1968. So the Beatles hadn't finished yet, but there was Floyd 
playing had yeah. a couple of albums and cream had almost come and gone by then uh not their progressive rock but you know totally different type of rock and Jimi hendrix things changed really quickly in the 60s but then you get the progressive rock uh decade of the 70s and it was huge it was popular you know i know they'd say punk come along came along and killed it but I'm not sure that's really true. I don't think it really killed it because there are plenty of progressive rock albums after punk came along, but it, uh, uh, it was huge. It was vastly popular. I mean, Emerson, Lake and Palmer filled Madison square garden. They filled Wembley, uh, arena, you know, consecutive, you know, many consecutive nights. Um, it was unbelievably popular stuff. We, I'm you, sure we'll have to do some editing here, but, uh, you had a wonderful gift to the yes music podcast. I wanted to remember to mention. You provided the uh, Trevor Rabin album. I just listened oh, to that. Oh, 90124. Yes, 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 yes. I thought they did a great job with that uh, episode. So, so I guess you, you inspired uh, Kevin, put him over the top to finally uh, review that. <laughs> yeah, I had that album. Uh, I found, oh, the, the truth is I find I don't play my CDs a lot anymore. Uh, I, I tend to listen a lot through iTunes or my iPod or whatever. Uh, and I had that one. And I thought, well, this is just one I'm not going to play. And I think he'll appreciate it more. So I, that's why I sent it to him. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I should send him. A couple, I have a couple of copies of Tormato too. He'll probably <laughs> want to I don't think well. he has enough copies. He needs more. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. That is fantastic. All right. Well, I think uh, I think that pretty much, you know, brings us to the end. Ken, as always, thank you so much for for coming on and spending your time with us and sharing, you know, your thoughts on on these bands and tonight, uh, Pink Floyd in particular. It, it's it's always a pleasure to sort of hear your experiences and 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 how you sort of got to to live these bands in real time. It's spectacular. Well, thanks so much for including me. I. I Thoroughly enjoy chatting with you guys about it. Thanks a lot. Fantastic. Kenny G, any closing thoughts? Yeah, awesome. Thanks for the ride. Thanks for the journey. And we are still working at this. And we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to figure out every last detail of every goddamn band that we have on our list. <laughs> even, if, <laughs> maybe, even though we, bro we broke the scrum a long time ago. But. Maybe, maybe I need to change my blurb at the beginning again. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, all right, so I think that will close us out for tonight. As as Kenny G mentioned, we do uh, you know look forward to some more lessons learned with more friends of the palaver on Pink Floyd as we uh, we we sort of gear up for the end of the Pink Floyd catalog in episode ninety nine into episode one hundred. So we'll uh, we'll be back with you guys. enjoyed this episode of progressive palaver as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and we look forward to your thoughts comments feedback and questions any thoughts or experiences you've had with pink floyd that uh, mirror ken's or any of your own please let us know you can reach us on twitter instagram or facebook we are at prog Pala, or search for progressive palaver on all of those you're welcome to email us our email address is prog Pala, that's p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a at gmail.com Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, at some unforeseen date in the future Pandora, or presumably wherever you get your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. two palavas on Dark Side of the Moon, how many did you spend on the wall? <laughs> <laughs> he knows us so well.